0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the and point podcast. My name is Vladimir Bosanek, and I am here with my co-host, Mike McPhee. Mike, say hi.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. This is a podcast where we're going to talk about sports, business, the business of sport, and everything in between. We're going to hit on football, hockey, baseball, basketball. might even go a little international with some rugby. We'll address news, we'll talk about what is interesting, and we'll put our spin and analysis on it.
0: Yeah, we're going to interview some interesting people as well as we go along, and I want to make sure that also this is fun and informative for uh, everybody. Um, But a little bit about us, we're uh, two uh, great friends, we're both dads, both uh, work for interesting companies, uh, have a little bit of a uh, Silicon Valley background in our our past work, um, and most importantly, uh, both played sports, and uh, so our stories are going to focus on uh, both of those sort of subjects.
1: That's right, Vlad. We're also bringing this to you from mobile studios. Vlad is in Seattle, the Jet City, and I'm in the Mile High City, also known as Denver, Colorado. But we have a global sports perspective, and we're going to talk about all sports, everything that we see that is interesting, and we hope you'll join us in our sports travels each and every week. All right, Vlad, let's get this started.
0: All right, let's go. Mike, episode three. Here we are. We're back for more. Back for more. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mike, before we get going, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to a little uh, little show on Apple TV Plus, actually, Ted Lasso. A very pleasant mm-hmm. surprise. It's a little sports comedy uh, sitcom, about half an hour per episode. They've released, okay. I think, uh, nine so far. Uh but anyway it's it's an exciting sports show where a college football coach goes to the UK to run a professional soccer team and oh, the uh, other football going yes, from America to the uh, other football. global football yeah okay. but it's a, but it's a very very n- nicely written show uh very witty you actually have to listen to the text pretty pretty good you can miss some very good witty witty jokes but uh, Apple TV Plus nice little pleasant surprise you know I know this is a podcast about sports so I thought I'd you know bring it up on our you know uh, podcast as well you have to check it out all right also uh before we jump into some of the items for our uh, speed round a couple of things I want to give you uh kudos for picking up Mike so mm-hmm. uh Messi the Messi story leaving Barcelona looks like we, over the last week we've learned that actually Messi is decided has decided to stay in Barcelona so i think stay uh, i think the gods of wisdom have prevailed and nobody wants to pay out that 700 million dollar euro transfer fee
1: that's just an incredible number like i think as you said in our in our in our episode last week uh, you could start your own league for that number. Yes. You might start multiple leagues with a yes. number like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I mean, it just makes no sense, and also looks like he'll be available basically in a in a in a few months. One thing about this thing, however, uh, which I thought was very kind of interesting, the way he put it. I guess he did a press conference uh-huh. to announce his decision to stay with Barcelona. He he actually came out and said, you know, the only way we could have done this is if we sued Barcelona. But, but I don't ever want to sue Barcelona. I love Barcelona, so mm-hmm. it almost it almost came across like he was trying to get some credit for kind of like just not suing. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's it, it seemed a little weird, and it, it seems um, anyway. It'll it'll be a story that we'll keep watching. Obviously, he's a he's a he's a mega star in soccer and sports. So I'm sure this story will will continue to uh, be in the headlines megastar, right? right? And and one of only a few names of people that really get this type
1: of attention. And as we said, maybe it's not over. Uh maybe yep. a transfer window comes mid-year and Barcelona and he decide to part ways. I got to believe that 700 million euro number won't be the same at mid-year. Maybe it's some other buyout um or folks just wait till the end of uh the season next year, June yeah. of 21 and say, you know, he's a free agent. We'll we'll give that a watch, right?
0: And I believe he turns 34 in uh-huh. First half of next year as well. So those legs aren't young. Seventeen
1: years. Seventeen years in the game at the pro level, those legs are not young.
0: Nope. Nope. Uh also uh Arod J Lo. Did you hear uh A-rod is angry? He's Uh, a story that
1: keeps on giving. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) He's upset that he lost the bid. Well, it sounds like they pulled out because um he calls it was it was it was a fixed deal. And I, I don't understand what that means. I mean, this is a private property being sold on the private market i mean the owner can do Mm -hmm. whatever he wants so um anyway i I thought it was interesting that um you know it sounds like they were not that far apart in terms of the overall deal uh but i got one little zinger here for you mike um i think when it comes to negotiating baseball deals uh it looks like a rod is still in the minors
1: yeah (laughs) that's an interesting little zinger you know um I don't think he spent a lot of time in the minors in his playing days but maybe at the at the big boy table of trying to buy a major league franchise in the states uh, he's got uh, he's got some some things he's going to be learning but I, I just got this as a breaking story today okay is that uh, JT JT Justin Timberlake he's trying to get into the game of major league baseball ownership and he may be trying to bring a team to Nashville. So pop culture and baseball may hit again. Let's just keep our eyes open and okay. watch that one live.
0: Okay, just to make sure this was not your come on, man.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> you can always anytime you fit JT yeah. into a story. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Good stuff.
0: Interesting. That is interesting. All Justin right, Justin Timberlake. We'll, okay, we'll keep we'll keep this one. We'll keep this one on the on the front burner too.
1: You know, we might have to change even our show notes at the top and say this is a podcast about you know pop culture's intersection with with sports as well. If we keep this up. I think <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> maybe yeah who knows yeah who knows we'll go we'll go where the news carries carries us there we go
1: all righty well let's uh let's keep this speed round going just with a couple news stories this week uh we've got two of them for you we're going to start with the Chicago Cubs they've announced a deal with DraftKings looks like it's going to be a 100 million dollar deal over the next 10 years essentially it's a rev share deal and and what it calls for is there they're, they're going to allow for DraftKings to build a sports book in and around Wrigley? Could be an attached facility to Wrigley Stadium. Could be a Wrigley Field, excuse me. Could be is it one of the bars really close by. Um, and 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 per Major League Baseball, it cannot be in the stadium. And and okay. I think that's probably in quotes. Um, there probably has to be a concourse or something that separates the sports book and. The actual playing field and the stands. But, but nevertheless, there's also in Illinois, they, there's some legislature around. If you get a stadium deal, then they get within a five block radius, they get exclusivity. And I, I guess that I'd probably say that's probably a quality life deal where, where Illinois doesn't want sports book on, on each corner opposite the stadium. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows what that means? But, but what's compelling to me here is that they're placing a bet unintended, intended. Yeah, uh, that that they're that in-person sports books are still going to be a hot item because this rev share is real money. You're, you're gonna be you're gonna be sharing 10 million over from DraftKings to the Cubs. Um, but but Vlad, in this last year, we've stood up mobile betting on mobile phones, independent of pandemic, independent of yeah. sports books. And if if I'm a sports fan, I'm on the north side. I mean, Wrigleyville is bar central. I'm going to go to Cubby Bear. I'm going to go to Murphy's and I'll just place my bet on my phone. I, I don't need to yeah. go in a sports book. I got the TVs, I got my buddies, I got my beers. What do you think here?
0: Well, e- even inside the uh, even inside the stadium, I mean, that's kind of an interesting point like why why would you even bother with, you know, having like a physical, you know, sports book, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. Well, let me just sort of take a step back, Mike, since you and I both lived in Chicago, let me kind of bring a Chicago angle to this. Mhm. Um I think Al Capone is turning in his grave right now. Mm. Can you imagine if a hundred years ago, Al Capone was allowed to install a bookie window somewhere <laughs> in the vicinity of either Wrigley Field or the or the White Sox Stadium? I mean, you know, this is just incredible. Uh, but a hundred million dollar deal obviously speaks to the to the size of this of this potential. And I think you know we're going to see more of this. And I think with technology, the advent of you know, phones and 5G and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I can only imagine this is going to get bigger and um, more prominent.
1: I'm seeing it the same. I'm seeing it the same. And let's do one more final note on our, our shared background from Chicago. Let's also not forget, it's 100 years ago, but Chicago's the site of the very infamous White Sox scandal. They were labeled yep. the Black Sox for throwing the 1918 World Series. So um, Chicago's got a little bit of a history with gambling and this is yet another chapter, and and one last guy. Come on, we can't forget a baseball and gambling story without Pete Rose. I'm <laughs> sure he's throwing his hands up in the air, saying, hey, "What, what right. now?"
0: <laughs> right. So right. Anywho. So so Mike, uh, baseball, beer in Chicago, and betting. What could go wrong?
1: Triple play. I love it.
0: <laughs> what could go wrong?
1: All right, moving on, Vlad. Moving on. Okay, our second speed round story. We're going to talk technology. And the US Open. A couple interesting angles here, Vlad. So IBM and the US Open are partnering to use AI in a couple of distinct ways. And and this mostly shows up in the US Open app. But there's a couple different use cases which are they're kind of interesting. The first one being that in the app, you're you're watching clips, you're seeing what the, the schedule is for the day, and you can you can ask within the app some unstructured questions like, who's the best men's tennis player of all time? And and IBM's going to use some AI to go look through all the background, look through all the stats, and, and serve up an answer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's that's interesting. A second one is they're going to generate some, some pre-match fact sheets using AI. And I think that one's just, you're going to replace some, some 20-something-year-old analyst that was tasked with that, and you're going to do that with AI now. Okay, interesting. But, but the third one is is this notion of using AI to analyze points and analyze and compare them to previous year's points and then pull in the crowd noise from similar points from previous years and add those to the clips. And, and this just goes to, we've seen in these other bubble sports and empty stadium sports, we've got crowd noise inserted into our broadcast. What, what, do, you, what do you think of this, this crowd noise insertion and, and how they're going about this flat?
0: Yeah, crowd noise is a weird one. I have to say, you know, um, you know, I think having played sports, you know, you know, you've you just zone that stuff out. You know, you're you're not really paying attention too much to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a little bit of a benefit. You know, I think in certain you know cities like here in Seattle, you know, the 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 the, the fans of the Seahawks are called you know the twelfth man, and I'm sure there are other versions of that in other cities in other sports. Um, There's Sometimes a benefit to that, but I don't think it's like you know the thing. You know, I think at the end of the day, um, it's not for the benefit of of the athletes. And I'm wondering kind of where where that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, quite honestly, I, you know, some of these other things could be interesting, especially the ones where they're using sort of AI to pull up some stats and that kind of information. Right. Um, I think you know, at the end of the day, this is probably about engagement somehow, and they're trying to measure it. I'm curious to understand, you know, what uh the engagement is that they're looking for and what kind of data on the back end are they going to be collecting about the users because I think at the end of the day that's kind of where probably this is going. I mean, they're making an investment in this. I imagine they're going to want some kind of, re- kind of some kind of a, you know, return as well. And and mm-hmm. what that is, I'm kind of curious to to see where 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 it goes.
1: Yeah, it could could be the supporting work for more of the, the engagement with tennis across more tournaments than just U.S. Open, right? And, and you can use this on clips, and you can use this as ways to engage in the app to, to find these different things across the year, maybe not just during tournament time. So, yeah, one to watch for sure. Yeah. but Some, but some log- kind
0: of economic benefit, I think, is tied to that engagement for sure, right? Seems so. so. Yeah. yeah,
1: seems so. But there, there's one other technology and people or technology and sport intersections that's happening at the U.S. Open. I wanted to, to just give a, a call out too, and that is, we've got this long time service called Hawkeye Live. I didn't know the brand name till maybe a week yeah. ago, but it's effectively the automated camera based line judge. Yep. it's been in it's been in effect for for several decades in various forms, and it's accurate to within two millimeters, and, and that's certainly way more accurate than our human eye at the speed and the distance involved in the in in judging balls in and out in in you know in tennis. But at this year's U.S. Open, it's being used 100% of the time for line judge. And line judge um, calls on 15 of the 17 courts. It's not on Arthur Ashe, and it's not on the, the grandstand court right next door to that. Yeah. And I think, I think as we were talking previous uh, and, and show prep at the, the Cincinnati tournament that was last week, I think you mentioned it was um used one hundred percent on all courts.
0: Th- that right? that's my understanding. Yes. I think I write something about that, but yeah, I I think that's the case.
1: Yeah. Well there's we we always look at technology and, and is it making a situation better? Is it well, in other lenses, is it replacing human capital? Is it is it can it do something better than people? And and that's that's a that's a common lens. Yeah. Well, there's another angle to this tournament, as most folks know, this past weekend, Novak Djokovic, he ended up hitting a tennis ball in anger at the end of a point, early in a match. Strikes a line judge in the neck, so he was on being a returning winner, a major winner. He plays only on Arthur Ashe. He doesn't play on a, on a side court. Right. His his ball he hits in anger, strikes the line judge in the neck, and some minutes ensue judges are out there and they default him from the tournament. I, I bet you here he would have much rather wished he was on one of those side courts. Um <laughs> but Vlad I I, yes. I know you you have this one kind of hits a little bit home for you with with Djokovic.
0: Yeah, full disclosure Mike as you know I am uh, from Serbia, so obviously I'm a little I, I you know I I wouldn't say obviously. I'm going to say I'm probably a little bit biased here. Just Some people may, people may perceive me a little bit biased here. Um, but I'm I tried as hard as I could to sort of take a step back and really analyze this um, And my conclusion is, and you know um, you know, again, full disclosure, I am from Serbia, right? This is a mm-hmm. stupid rule. I mean, I don't get it. Um it's well, and and I and I started thinking about like okay, why what do I object about this rule as a as a former athlete, right? Like what why why is it bad? And there there are two kind of main things. One, I feel it's it's, you know, basically binary, meaning either the ball hits somebody and you're out or it doesn't hit somebody and you're not out. So if that ball is thrown the exact same way, the exact same speed, just miss the judge, you know. Let's say by, you know, four inches, right? Uh, nothing, nothing would have happened. So, 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 okay. so, so the binary aspect of it, I think, is, is what you know troubles me kind of, okay. kind of the most. And there's no interpretation in terms of um, what exactly happened. So, so the rule states: players, players shall not viol- violently, dangerously, or with anger kick or throw a tennis ball. Um, you know. So, you know, people are saying, you know, the rule is a rule and I get all that. Uh, But, you know, violently it was not. And I saw I saw I saw the replay, you know, dangerous, mm, you know, anger. Maybe he was upset. Right. Um, And, Mm. uh, you know, but not angry with that judge. Yes. Yes. That's that's, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's right, and 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 so that that's my point. Like it's you know there's no there's no sort of there's no spectrum here. Like okay, so the ball hit the judge, but what what happened? How did this occur? Um, is it tr- tr- you know truly worthwhile sort of kicking somebody out of the tournament, or mm-hmm. or is it some kind of a you know penalty? Right. So this is this is what I mean. It needs to be sort of you know there needs to be some kind of a scale, not just binary, right? Mm-hmm. and And the second thing that really bothered me about it is there's no equivalency to this in any other sport um, uh, You can argue well in basketball they can you know eject a player or in soccer right. but it's always left to the interpretation of the referee to do so okay. um so you know even in basketball you have a flagrant one or a flagrant two. Uh, and they don't necessarily result in ejections, right? The there's ejection like a veracity is, to it, right? Like yeah, a, almost an
1: intent. You almost have to right. measure an you're, intent.
0: You're you're interpreting sort of what what happened here, yeah. and 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 I think this is where tennis kind of loses. Um, and at the end of the day, I think tennis lost here. I, I mean. In, not only did he get kicked out of the tournament, but but mm-hmm. the rule stipulates you have to give up all your points earned in that tournament, all the mm-hmm. you know prize money earned up until that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like super punitive, um, and I just and it, it's just a bad rule. Yeah, well, maybe to maybe to put my little bow on
1: this one on on the intersection of technology and this game, I'm a fan of when the technology can be used in objective measurements you know absolutely so just coming back to lines in and out that that's i think that's really valid and 100 speed within that game my gosh so then yeah. like let's look to other sports too there's a lot of other use cases across other games where it's stepped on the line different things those are the right things i think to use technology get the call right the subjective stuff and we've seen in other sports where there's all this time and they're reviewing and they're analyzing and the flow all botched i'm not a fan yeah. um But in this one, I think the story being, what about technology being used? I think it's a productive technology. A hundred percent. I think we're going to see it in more use cases across more sports. A hundred percent. And I think there's tuning and tweaking, though, to get it right Um, and- uh, I think it's a net positive having this this used.
0: Yeah, and I went off of a tangent about Djokovic here so I, I apologize All good. for All that. good, <laughs> it's, it's my it's my Balkan mentality. I can't I can't I can't suppress it for too long, Mike. All good. No, but um I think you're absolutely right. I think the point that you're making here is that there is technology available that can really make the game better. Meaning it can be more accurate, more precise. Um I remember this technology coming out in the late eighties early nineties so it's been around for you know thirty years almost right mm-hmm. um it's it It should be it's already been used in uh, like like you said throughout other tournaments it's already been used on other courts and one could argue that you could be at a disadvantage if it's if you're not using it right so yes. so the other players that played on those you know secondary courts on those fifteen of seventeen courts arguably were at an advantage because they that that rule that kicked Djokovic out technically would have never applied to them because there was no line judge to hit to be honest with you right so anyway, they, they can throw semantics. a fit is, is,
1: is like you could throw a fit on a side <laughs> well, court but not on the show court well, is, is that how we're netting this out <laughs>
0: My, my, point is, my not point allowed. Is, my point is, if we want to make it equitable, then let's just ap- apply it, you know, throughout the entire, you know, the entire tournament. Why mm. be selective on 15 courts but not on the two? It, you yeah, head scratcher. You know, two courts ones, without right? it. Yeah. and 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 I know, and I know, technology will become a bigger thing, not just in tennis but but in other sports. I believe the last World Cup used you know cameras and the referees could go back and do instant replay and sort of watch and i think more accuracy in terms of you know rules and judgment i think leads to better results and i can just bring up one example mike this is going to date us but you know the i think this is the 1986 world cup finals not finals but maybe the semis um maradona you know hits the hits the hits the game winning goal with his hand uh, at the Hand World of Cup God. and yes. Argentina, right? Argentina wins the match and you're just like, you know, if there was technology to track that, you would, you, the outcome would be very different.
1: Indeed. Objective call, they could have gotten right. So... Yeah. Let's uh, let's move on to our top stories, Vlad. I think you're going to kick us off here with our with our first one here.
0: Uh, we are, we are, Mike. And before we we do that, uh, we do want to take a couple of minutes for uh, some messaging. So we'll be right back after these announcements, <music> folks. Mike and I love doing the bottom point, and we hope you also like listening to us banter about sports and business and the business of sports. We hope that you will tell everyone about it. Please subscribe, pass on to five of your friends who love sports and tell them about us. If you don't have five friends, just let us know and we'll have you join the show. We won't do it to make fun of you, just to make sure we tap into your great ideas. As a small token of our appreciation, we'll also tell you a dad sport joke. Here's one. Where do they keep the largest diamond in New York City? Yankee Stadium. Haha, <laughs> thank you for laughing. Subscribe, forward to show to your friends, write a quick review, and if you have story ideas, please reach out. Our contact information is included in the show notes. Thank you for listening.
1: I'd like to just briefly give a shout out for the Freckled Yellow design firm. They helped us to freshen up recently. And if you have branding or graphic design needs, you can find them at freckledyellow.com.
0: All right. So we're back. Uh Mike, we got uh some interesting stories to cover here. Um It's true. So the this one hits close to home for me. Um I think, you know, you and I are going to be talking about the NCAA probably in in several other shows <laughs> over over time and yes. uh, this is one of our one of our favorites. One of our favorite targets, exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, I want to give credit to Nick Bromberg of Yahoo Sports who covered this uh, last week. Uh, basically, the, the news is that the NCAA is going to furlough its entire staff. I mean, the financial difficulties resulting from the coronavirus pandemic. Mm-hmm. So this is mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, NCAA is headquartered in Indianapolis. About 300 people work at their headquarters, if, if my sort of research gets this correct. Yeah. Um, let's also be clear here. Um, the executives will not be furloughed. So this is just staff and people that, you know, do the daily work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, um, <laughs> I don't even yeah. know where to start with this. But um, essentially, it's
1: something, like, it's something like three to six weeks, or something like that, or three to eight weeks, like well, across different I, people, right? I, like I
0: think I think there's some there's some measure there. They were they're probably going to reevaluate things. But at the end of the day, uh, the NCAA, as you and I know, is a billion dollar corporation, right, Michael? I yeah. mean, let's let's be real here. Um, Based on this is from their website directly from their website they collect about eighty five percent of that billion dollars comes from the NCAA D one mm. uh, basketball television rights and marketing mm. and the other fifteen percent comes from the ticket sorry from the ticket sales of that event so basically NCAA mm. D one basketball funds nearly 100% of the NCAA's budget. Now, wow. they have a website that sort of describes how they use that all up and you know that kind of thing. For a billion dollar organization, you would think that they would have a rainy day fund. Yeah. And it sounds like, uh, based on what we were able to find, Mike, is that about five years ago, they actually did. They had $500 million um, which over the last five years they spent on something called cost of attendance stipends for players. I'm not hundred percent sure what that means. Um, and the other the other chunk of it was spent on um, on a um, uh, class action settlement regarding the NCA's outdated amateurism rules. So, what? Mike, thoughts? 500,
1: five years ago, they had a five hundred million dollar rainy day fund, and and now in twenty twenty, when you would need to use it, they've had to pay out for stipends, I I guess to the major universities. So it, one other flow through back to the big schools. I, I don't know what lawsuits. they're exactly
0: using it for. I mean that, but gone. that's the other thing. Five hundred million's gone. It's gone. It's gone. So apparently and so they, they apparently yes, apparently they're they're out of money. Apparently not out of money for the executives, but they're out of money for uh, the people actually doing doing, um, doing the work, you know, I, mm. I, this, this smells Mike and, um, you know, I think it's, it's a stinky onion that will start to peel at some point, hopefully very soon. And when it does, I think we're going to see, um, a set of, you know, decisions here that look like probably self-dealing in many, many ways. And, uh, you know, I, I, Honestly, mean this. I really hope that the FBI, just like they were looking into FIFA a couple years ago, is looking into the NCAA also and trying to determine whether this organization is, you know, uh, acting as it should. You're seeing
1: maybe some corruption signals potentially might might be emerging in here. Interesting. I I didn't know that so much came from just basketball. I I thought NCAA had a much broader purview, but 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 I hear you here. And without the tournament this past spring. Looks like their revenues, I guess, in 2020 went to zero, or, or I, I don't know. I don't know how much money they would have collected. But Vlad, we're aligned on this one. You know, NCAA has a has a target from from both of us, and and this reeks. I I, I totally agree with you. It's an organization right for change, but but let's just look at this thing. Is that just as the benefits, also known as the money, from this org flow through to just certain stakeholders? So their executives, and then yeah. back through to major universities people without influence, people that don't get a seat at the table, they're they're left out on the outside looking in and we know that's the athletes and you and I have a, have having aligned position on that, but it looks like in this one it's also support staff. They're going to be furloughed between what 4 and 8 and 12 weeks or something like that over the coming months and those checks are going those checks going to matter. That's that's, that's, right. sad, that's that's a sad that's a sad thing. And and um, let's
0: let's be honest here, right? So it's the executives who are making, you know, very nice salaries who probably can afford to take some yeah. time off and do whatever, right? And it's the people who have regular jobs that are the ones that are getting, you know, stuck stuck with the furlough. Um, right. I, again, I I I think there is going to be an unraveling of NCAA at some point, and um, we'll see. We'll see. I hope I hope we're there to cover it, Mike. Yeah,
1: you know, also Vlad, um, just a, maybe a shout out to our listeners, and we've been talking about maybe doing a deep dive episode. And uh, just maybe a note out to our listeners out there, hit us up with a DM, hit us up with an email if you're interested in a deep dive on the NCAA, and we'll uh, maybe dedicate an entire episode to that, Vlad. So what do you think?
0: We have lots of opinions on that one for sure. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Yeah. You ready for the next story here, Vlad? Let's go. Okay. So we wanted to take a look in to how the disrupted college football season will be impacting the cottage industry of the NFL draft next spring. NFL being so huge here in the States. College football just kicking off in this last week or two with a portion of the teams set to set to play out this fall. So Vlad, let's let's look at this thing and sound this thing out. So we, we know this. There's some games this fall. There's planning some games for the winter and the spring. Emphasis yep. on planning. We yeah. we don't know how that will land. Um, we also know that some of the top talent has, um, has opted out of these coming seasons, fall or spring, where different schools, different stories. But, but some of that talent that's opted out has opted out for health reasons, but then there's also talent that said, I've kind of shown enough. Maybe that's not their story, but the background is. They're, they're uh, projected to be a high enough pick, so yeah. they're going to sit this one out. But, Vod, may, the majority of college football talent still needs to play to showcase – if you're looking at this through the lens of the NFL draft, you've got to showcase your skills so that the NFL teams can, can see if you're draft worthy. Um, and, and as we look at these this kind of bifurcated system and bifurcated schedules, let's, let's, let's look a little deeper as to what are some of the impacts that, that's happened now as we've got these split seasons and things. Okay. So so for starters, you know, most people know that are, that are big time NFL fans out there but there's there's an entire cottage industry vlad around draft prep and and there's draft prep immersion camps there's pro days there's combines there's agent signings there's all kinds of things and it it's a journey from end of ncaa playoffs in january through a draft in april there's a whole deal around that right but let's get into the impact of the stakeholders a little bit for the players this one's a little bit of new things coming at them. The NCAA recently voted to grant all fall athletes an extra year of eligibility. Yeah. So 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 that means some players may want to stay for one more season. You know, we would we would think they'd be draft eligible next year or maybe wanting to move on to the draft, but they've got a decision point to make as as they either play in the fall, play in the spring. Do I go out? Do I stay? So new, new ground for them to work. Was my season strong enough that I should come yeah. out? All, all new things to work out, right? And,
0: and their coaches have to make that decision also, because I think, I mean, let's be honest, just because you have the option to have an extra year, maybe your coach doesn't want you to have an extra, <laughs> an extra year on the team, right?
1: That's right. Might have some young bucks looking for your playing time, right? So, okay. So that, that's certainly one of the angles. And, and then, this one's been thrown out there is, is should a college player have two seasons in a calendar year, right? If, you, if you're thinking there's spring football now on a regular <laughs> right. season. And then you've got either an NFL year next year or you've got another NCAA year the next next fall. It's stuff that is so jumbled. Um, and then the other thing that, man, I hadn't thought of this one, is that when you optimize for the combine and your pro days, you do a training buildup. Like there's a whole sequence you follow of, of day zero to twelve weeks out on your buildup of your times and your strength, so that your numbers right. are at peak. Well, how do you how do you sequence that? Like if you just finished your season in March or, or or April, and then you've got the combine right after that, you're worn out. Maybe your numbers aren't what other guys can put out if they played this fall. Just just a jumbled landscape from a, just a player's perspective, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's unpack agents agents for a moment and and you're not going to find a lot of sympathy for agents really in any corner of the business or sporting world but but agents they typically bankroll players once their eligibility is used up or they're declaring they're going they typically bankroll them they put them up in the condo in santa monica and train in la or or in the condo and in you know down in florida and have them training with other guys down there and they're bankrolled well do they start bankrolling now if, if somebody's opted out and now they're picking up the tab for eight nine months uh, again you're not going to find a lot of sympathy anywhere but the agents th- from a cost perspective they're going to increase their cost basis for sure no no doubt about it yeah yeah um then you got typical events like senior bowl senior bowl is a showcase uh experience there's how do you land that that's typically in january it's a couple weeks after most guys are done and so there's a Quick reconditioning. They learn the playbook. They play the game. Well, okay. What if what if you move Senior Bowl to May, and one team played in the fall, and and so do they have to really recondition for a week or two? Like, there's so many variables. Yeah. Um. But I think where we're gonna net this out is like the NFL teams are ultimately, they're 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 gonna be in charge of of kind of most of the outcomes here. And and I'll look at this as one other part, and I'd love to hear your take on all these different stakeholders. And that as NFL teams are they're gonna be stretched a little thinner. They're gonna be stretched on, on how they collect information about athletes and prospects. And, True. True. But, but in the end, I'm gonna put out there they'll be resourceful. They'll get to they'll get to the data
0: 100%. where they'll have
1: they'll have parity with other years and maybe their risk profile has to change a little bit because yeah. they didn't get as much tape. But but in the end, th- they're all going to be working from the same elements. All 32 teams are going to have to draft with players that had this this, this disrupted next six to nine yeah. months. And Vlad, Vlad, what do you think on, it's, on, it's on gonna this it's It's going to be deal? a
0: funky year. It's going to be a c- couple of funky years. There's no way around it. At the end of the day, if we want to put this in economic terms, Mike, you know the teams are the buyers, right? This is yes. the economic buyer. So they're... Are they are definitely going to drive the decisioning on this? And um, you know, I think there's going to be less of a certainty with some players in terms of how they perform. You know, if they can't do the combine, they can't do this. You know, Senior Bowl, they can't sort of do it the way they've done it over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of that, quite honestly, Mike, was probably you know half beneficial to the coaches and the agents and the players, and half just sort of for show. Oh, yeah. uh, if yeah. if I mean it's let's sort of kind of you know call a spade a spade here, right?
1: Final kicking of the tires in I, a sense. I
0: think so. You know, I, I I would imagine if you're a professional football team and you have professional people working for you whose job is to like identify these players. You know, they're not going to wait until a combine to figure out whether they're going to take somebody or not, right? I okay. mean, they're going to have lists coming into this thing. They're going to have an A list and a B list and a C list, and they're going to move people up and down that list. Um, this might be the year where they have a little bit less information about that. Okay. But 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 you and I know, you know, when you go into the league, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that you're going to be as good as you were, or as dominant of a player as you were in yeah. college, right? Because you're gonna yeah. you're playing with an entirely new set of circumstances. You are being distracted by money and God knows what other kind of things, right? There, there are all kinds of variables, and I think at the end of the day, um, look, if you are maybe a borderline player, this might be an opportunity for you to stand out and showcase that, you know, you're, you're, you're hardworking and, you know, y- you may need to use different skill sets to sort of sell yourself, right, other than just the sort of physical aspect of it. Um, so th- that would be my kind of two, two, two cents on that.
1: Yeah, you know, may, maybe in the end it's it's kind of much ado about nothing. Yeah, some some cost will increase, and and maybe maybe the risk risk profile of a prospect is going to change a little bit. But but in the end, maybe maybe that stuff's just noise anyway. Is is can you play? Does your tape show that you can play, and can you be found through that? And then, and then it'll shake out in in, in the league anyway. Because because yeah. even the best guys that get drafted so high, a lot of them miss anyway. Right? That's that, right. That, that's, that's right. So that's right. There's so many variables there.
0: But okay. but the NFL, you know, will have a draft as as you and I spoke. You know, as we were kind of you know prepping for this story and you know others. At the end of the day, they want an a steady flow of talent into the league. Right, because it gives them an opportunity then to negotiate mm-hmm. with the existing talent, right? And if you can, you know, clear out your roster because you can now bring three, four, five healthier, younger guys that are half the salary or you know whatever, right? They'll do um, it. This is how the game is played, right? So there, that that flow is not going to stop. You know, it's going to be funky for sure. But you know, what is not funky this? <laughs> in our lives now, right?
1: Yeah, you can almost make that case is nothing's normal anymore. So this is just their newest version. And um and and the pipeline will continue to the NFL.
0: I think so. I think so.
1: Okay. All righty. Well, good deal. I think we've uh, we've wrapped up that story, Vlad. I'm ready to move on to our our third top story. You ready to join me here? Let's go. Okay. We're we're back to tennis because we we think there's an interesting angle to the labor pains or the organizing pains that are surfacing just this week with U.S. Open. So let's look at this here, Vlad. I think let's frame this story for just a moment. Uh, let's let's frame it in business terms as we're, as we're so fond of doing and, and establishing with this platform here on this podcast. We've all, all of our listeners, all, Vlad, you and I, we've grown accustomed to the changing nature of work and, and within industries over over these last five to 10 years and The rise of freelance work, the rise of independent contractors, the gig economy. You know, this is how we frame work these days. Well, I I would assert that this is how you could frame tennis right now. I think you could frame golf this way right now. And they've actually been this way for decades, is that each of the players is an independent contractor. Um, And we know about that more in the everyday world, but these sports stars have been independent contractors for decades. But they've got even more complexity as they play all across the world. That's right. So they just don't deal with you know state laws we have here or paying taxes in different jurisdictions where their work was as an independent contractor. They deal with this across the planet and have for years. So that's not new. But I think the framing maybe is a new angle to this. And then as we're maybe hearing about the way the benefits may be uh, be, be looking to flow in the future, maybe that's an angle. So let's look at let's look a little bit more deeper in how this really works with a tennis player okay? When you look, Vlad, I don't know if you know this about about the, kind of the, the guys in 100 or 200 and below in the tour, but when you lose in a tournament, say you're in a, in a week-long tournament across the tour, yep. you lose on Tuesday in the opening match or a second match. Well, on Tuesday or Wednesday, you're out, and your expenses for the rest of that week, they're all your own. And you stay in town to practice, to hit with other guys, and you're not moving on to the next tournament until the weekend or a week or two out. So, in that time, Vlad, you might, you might shell out a, a grand a week or more in expenses for travel, for your, your team around you and different things. Well, Vlad, if you look at the money lists and you're outside of the top 200, you're, you're effectively broke in this model. Yeah. Um, so let's just take a quick snapshot. The current number 200 men's player in terms of money made this year, Facundo Bagnes, Okay. his year-to-date earnings... okay that's that's a nice number and and with one perspective but as you know with independent contractors you got to cover your own health care insurance you got to cover your travel your coaches your training equipment,
0: everything equipment
1: and you're losing on a lot of Tuesdays and Wednesdays probably so you're picking up the bill for the rest of your week while the the stars are making more money through the week and getting the tab picked up right so that sets the stage but that's not new that's been around for, for decades but on the eve of the U.S. Open, Novak Djokovic, you know, our star of our earliest mm-hmm. tennis, earlier tennis story, along with Vosek Pospisil, boy, that's a tough one, they're <laughs> proposing the formation of a new players union, effectively,
0: the Professional
1: yeah. Players Tennis Association, yeah. or PTPA. They're proposing that should run alongside the current ATP. That's a lot of letters in there. So let's just deal with me here, folks. Among the areas the PTP would look into, according to their announcement letter, they want to look into ATP tournament rules and regs, revenue sharing, yep, disciplinary actions, disciplinary actions we heard about that earlier, pensions, travel, on-site food and amenities, and here's a big one: insurance and medical care. Okay, that's a mouthful.
0: And sounds, tennis sounds like a reasonable list of requests, right?
1: Yeah. Especially if so much of the tour is independent yeah. contractors, low in the financial profile. Okay, so so let's let's go a little bit further. No shock, tennis is divided over this proposal. The big names specifically are divided. Federer and Nadal, they're 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 out there as critics of this formation. They're they're effectively their their bases are covered, and they're part of the ATP. They have been their whole career. Andy Murray, another big name. He says. Yeah. Okay, Novak, what, what about the women? What, do you have the women included? Because yep. that's been a theme for years. Should we combine the WTA and the ATP? Um, but there's more here, Vlad. Novak Djokovic up until, and maybe still is, he's the head of the Players' Council within the existing ATP. Right. And that's the team that gets to sit at the negotiating table. It's three or four players. They get to negotiate already. He's already at the table. So, so Vlad there's th- a lot of moving parts w- what's what's your take on some of this setup
0: well a few things um, I think one of the one of the things that I've learned about this is that you know some of these requests that this group is trying to fight for are not necessarily new they've been around for about 10 20 years even and the players who are in the lower rankings have been you know trying to kind of voice some of their concerns right okay. Um You know, it's one thing when uh, the tour goes and money flows and all that kind of good stuff. And then comes a global pandemic. And guess what? Everything shuts down. And all of a sudden, everything that used to work all of a sudden doesn't work. And one of the things Mm -hmm. that I think prompted this group to really push into some serious discussions about this is that the ATP executives, while all the other players were sitting at home and not being able to play, Right. Continue to collect their salaries, didn't take any any pay cut. So similar right. to our NCAA uh you know amigos. And I think what is what is happening is that it you know finally somebody is, you know, standing up and saying, Okay, we gotta sort of re-reset things here a little bit. Um and I think, you know, to Djokovic's, you know, incredible credit, um, you know, he's thirty-three, you know, he's sort of at the tail end, you would argue, of his career also. Um, he's kind of putting himself out there, and he's taking a leadership position to, you know, really, you know, fight for something that he thinks is right. Um, you know, Andy Murray is following in his in his footsteps. I think Andy Murray is sort of halfway there, um, but like you said, Nadal and Federer are, are not with him. And, you know, I'm going to be a little bit cynical here, but I think, you know, Nadal Nadal is also 33, 34. Federer is now hitting almost 40, right? Almost 40, these yep. these two guys are at the tail end of their careers. Do you think they're going to criticize the world that made them who they are and mm-hmm. want to sort of destroy the formation of an organization that sort of, you know, made them the mega stars that they are? Um that's where I'm a little bit cynical, and I and I think that they are not. I don't think they want to sort of rock any boats at this point in their career, and they probably don't want to, you know, change anything that's made them who they are, essentially, right?
1: Yeah, you know that it's interesting. Like, what are what are their incentives at this point? They're focused on their game. Yeah, they're bank. They're they're they have generational wealth, and and they're they're effectively probably giving a collective shrug across those other big guys. But I I'm I gonna side with you here. I, I like what Novak's done, at least the things that we've seen. There's not too many specifics, as we have said. They have there's some areas they want to talk about and dig into. But Novak, he's he's the all-time tennis earnings list uh, money leader at 140 something million dollars. So he clearly doesn't have any of his money at stake and generational wealth for him too. But he's standing right. up for the guys around him. That's right. And that's right. And I think he's. Acknowledging here was, I got we got to have a full bench here of the tour where everybody's viable and 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 what let's lift them all up and right. And he used a leverage point the opening day of the US Open
0: 100%. 100%. Angle. And and I think you know, um, Nadal's uncle Tony Nadal came out and made a statement about this. And uncle I, Uncle Tony, I, uh, Uncle Tony, and I think <laughs> I think it just sort of shows, um, Either how they're either out of touch or they don't care or they're just focused on something totally else, something totally different. Rather, um, you know, you know, his argument was that this. So, so Novak's group is trying to uh, bring in uh, five hundred singles, right? So, so up to five hundred of the singles players, yes, and two hundred doubles players. So yes. that so they're really expanding so you know, you you mentioned that one player who's number 200 so this goes way beyond just way his deeper. position right way deeper and and so and so you know tony tony says oh that 500 200 is arbitrary you know why not everyone well it, <laughs> 500 probably is everyone, <laughs> to be perfectly yeah, honest yeah. with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand that sort of argument. And then he called Djokovic selfish, um, which I failed to see how he called Djokovic selfish. Like, if anything, he's sort of risking, you know, coming out and, you know, he's, he's kind of going against the sport. I don't know how this is, like, you know, selfish. He's not doing this for his interest. Yeah. I think he's doing this for the interest of, of others. And at least that's what it seems like. And, and I think um it's 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 bad i i think it's bad to be honest with you and um i think the fact that um, this group of people who really sort of really struggles, I think, I mean, you know, tennis might be this like fantastic sport that we all watch and we admire the athletes, but you and I know, Michael, I mean, this is a hard gig, uh, all the travel and the training and all this other stuff. It is very expensive. Um, and I think that what they're doing is the right thing.
1: Okay. I, uh, I think we're, I think we're aligned there, but and and let's let's close this one out with one other interesting angle. It'll be interesting to see if PTP gains action PTPA. But but here's a fun fact for you, Vlad. It almost could have been a come on, man. Another one almost could have been. I I, I read this uh, background about this story. It's estimated that the U.S. Open players' winning pool is a scant 10 to 15 percent of the revenue generated by this tournament. Wow. Their purse is probably something like eight or nine million across men's and women's. Compare that with the NBA and the NFL, where their salary pool captures about fifty percent of the revenue generated. Novak might be onto something here. Yeah. Saying, okay, where where's the money flowing to? Just like our friends at the NCAA from the story before. Yes. Where, where's the money flowing to here, folks? Yeah. We the players are generating a ton. Where's it where's it all going?
0: Where's it going? That's exactly right. That's there exactly we go. right.
1: There we go. The floor is yours, Vlad.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, so, Mike, uh, to close us off, I have a, uh, a come on, man, for you. Okay. All right. I'm ready. So, like we said, all the other stories we've discussed, we've uh, talked about our points and counterpoints. This mm-hmm. one I haven't shared with Mike, so he doesn't know what I'm going to say. Mike, Kentucky Derby, last weekend. Okay. The horse, authentic, wins. Okay. Okay. Interesting story about Authentic is uh, the stud fees. Do you know oh, how much on, stud man. fees? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how much stud fees are for Authentic? N-
1: n- no, no idea.
0: Sixty on, million <laughs> dollars. Six zero. That's oh, that's a on, that's man. a come on man. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> That's all come on i have on. i have one question for you mike what 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 do you think our our wives would say our stud fees are <laughs> 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 would we even cross sixty bucks five hundred bucks
1: you you got it, you got an edit button on this one blah <laughs> <laughs> You, anyway, you got I some real I,
0: editing to this week. I thought I'd close <laughs> off on this one. So anyway, um, that's that's it for the show. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, give us feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Look for our contact info, information in the in the show notes. And uh, if you can, forward this to your friends and uh, let us know what you think about the show.
1: Please do it, folks. Good game, Vlad. Good game. We'll, Thanks, uh, Mike. We'll see you
0: next week. We'll, we'll chat soon. Yes, man. Cheers.